Well, 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 what a nice weekend of SEC football, and we're going to go ahead and recap everything today. Welcome to another episode of Glory Days, the Georgia Bulldogs podcast, the October 4th edition SEC recap. So, last night was just a magnificent night. I've never seen a team take such a big step from game one to game two. Game one being the struggle with the Arkansas Razorbacks, and then game two, everything looks so much more positive. Georgia dominates the game against the Auburn Tigers, pulls up a lot of yards. Offense looks very balanced the entire night and pretty much hauls Auburn to nothing. They weren't able to do anything in that game. But uh, a, a quick point that I'd like to look at um, is I was watching TV last night. I kind of noticed that there seemed like there was a lot more fans than just the announced attendance of, what was it, 20-something thousand fans. There was an announced attendance of 20,524 fans uh, I thought they were going to go up to about 22,000. But to me, it just looked like there was more fans than that inside the stadium. And then ESPN also put a story out there where you can't really tell there's COVID in Athens because the fans seem to be celebrating as much as possible. And then I saw something on one of these local message boards today. Stay classy, Athens. So I don't think it was like that at all because I've spoken with friends who actually attended the Georgia-Auburn game last night. And they pretty much told me that uh, it, it's way overrated. Basically, you know, there were large groups of people together, namely students, whenever they were on camera, but then they quickly separated back out. So it's just a little bit of an overreaction, kind of a knee-jerk reaction at this point. But, um, yeah, you know, take it for what it is. It did look like there was more people there. But I was glad there's more people there because I want people to support the Georgia Bulldogs. But last night, just an absolute wonderful game for Georgia. And I want to look at Auburn's game leaders from last night. Bo Nix, he's on the struggle bus again against the Georgia Bulldogs. He struggled in last year's edition of the game, at 21-14 win out in Auburn back in November of last year. And he struggled again today, uh, last night. He was 21 for 40, so he put a little bit more than – and completed just a little more than 50% of his passes for 177 yards and one interception. Meanwhile, Bigsby was the top rusher for Auburn at eight carries, 31 yards. So that tells you a lot. If you take away the run from Auburn, they're going to struggle. And then uh, Bigsby was also their top receiver, seven receptions, 68 yards. So uh, just a lot of great things happened last night. Georgia outgained Auburn 442-216. to Auburn had one turnover. Georgia did not turn the ball over at all. Georgia absolutely dominated the time of possession with a possession time of 34 minutes and 4 seconds. Auburn was held to 25 minutes, 56 seconds, dominated in first downs. Georgia had 25 first downs, Auburn with only 15. And then, as we said before, the announced attendance of 20,524 for a 22% capacity. So I didn't quite go to 25% last night. But just overall, things were awesome. I mean, we, um, in, in passing yards, we outgained Auburn 240 to 177. Stetson Bennett started the game. A lot of people weren't really sure what was going to happen. Was it going to be Stetson Bennett? Was it going to be JT Daniels? Uh, was DeJuan Mathis going to be given another opportunity? DeJuan Mathis did get another opportunity, but it was – rather late in the game, but uh, overall, just a, a fantastic game for Georgia, and I don't think, one thing I observed last night, I don't think that Stetson Bennett has to be this do-or-die quarterback. He can be a simple game manager, much like Jake Fromm was 
in his first season and lead Georgia to victory that way. Because, I tell you, Georgia's play calling was excellent last night. They were able to get the ball in their hands of their playmakers. I saw wide receiver reverses. I saw sweeps. I didn't see all this. Let's just run it in the middle. Let's run it in the middle. Last year, we had a very vanilla offense, a very simplified offense. and just ran up the middle. This year's offense, if you get it in the hands, if you get the ball in the hands of your playmakers, then great things are going to end up happening. So let's recap the Georgia game, and then let's go around the SEC and do our SEC recap. Look at the top 25, and let's look at the overall NCAA offensive and defensive stats to see where the Georgia Bulldogs stack up and all that. And then we will um, talk about Tennessee a little bit and then preview the game a little bit later in the week. So going over the Georgia game here, I mean, just unbelievable. Zemir White, Sesson Bennett. Passed for 240 yards, had a touchdown. Zamir White was Georgia's leading rusher, but they got the ball in the hands of a lot of different running backs. He had 19 carries for 88 yards and two touchdowns. Looked very, very different than the Zamir White we saw at Arkansas last week. Um, and then Jackson, he had nine receptions for 147 yards. And Auburn just looked like, you know, even with Chad Morris as their new office of coordinators, like a team that was tired, like a team that could not, find a good strategy on offense, and just struggled throughout the game. So they are now 1-1. One and one. Georgia moves on to 2-0 and oh and will face the Tennessee Volunteers on Saturday. That game has been picked up by CBS for 3.30 kickoff. So we are looking forward to watching, watching that. So, I mean, just a couple of different observations about the game. The kicking game was good. I think we probably have the best punter in the nation. And then, uh, like I said, Stetson Bennett, there's no need, I think, at this point to take him out of the game unless he's just really struggling in a game and you need to take a look at another quarterback and go to another quarterback. Now, you may find that against Alabama in two weeks. You could find it against Tennessee on Saturday. But as long as Stetson Bennett is winning games for Georgia, then I don't see any reason in putting in anybody else except for maybe garbage time. Like last night, you put DeJuan Mathis in. He didn't do a whole lot in his garbage time. But, uh, you know, he did get a chance to to come in and and play just a little bit. Overall, I was extremely impressed. I mean, the offensive line blocked. We were able to run the ball. Those are two things that just really did not happen in Arkansas last week. Um, so, in the running back, I mean, I like using a lot of different running backs. It almost reminds me of the first year when we were going back and forth. We had Nick Chubb. We had Sonny Michelle. Um, but then we had other running backs. So, we, we used about four or five running backs that year as well. So we've got Zamir White, 88 yards. James Cook, that's the best game I've seen James Cook play so far. He averaged 8.2 carry. Maybe we should have given it to him more. Five carries, 41 yards, an 8.2 average, and his long run was 16. But like I said, James Cook was utilized last night, and that's good. I've always thought that James Cook was not the best blocker in the world, and that's why they don't use him as much. And really, in order to play in Kirby Smart's offense, you have to be able to run block as well. And if you can't block, if you can't go down the field, you can't block for the wide receivers, then Kirby Smart's just not going to play you quite as much. Kenny McIntosh uh, checked in at 29 yards, six carries, 29 yards. Kendall Milton, six carries, 30 yards. DeWan Mathis ran for two in the garbage time, and um, he really did not even attempt to pass last night. All the passing stats went straight to Stetson Bennett. Uh, receiving yards, Kiaris Jackson, 
nine reception, 147 yards. I mean, when he was deep and he was wide open, he was way down the field and he caught several long balls. He had an average of 16.3 yards per catch. And then you had Pickens, two receptions, 26 yards. Um, you had Fitzpatrick, one reception for 18. And very balanced. Kenny McIntosh caught a pass out of the backfield, one reception for 15 yards. Jermaine Burton, one reception for 14 yards. Samir White, another pass caught out of the backfield, one reception for 10 yards. And then Demetrius Robertson, Demetrius Robertson, who has not really gotten a lot of playing time and sort of disappeared in games. Sakina Georgia has not dominated a game. He had two receptions for 10 yards, average five per catch. So I think at this point, we can just really determine that Demetrius Robertson probably is not going to be the type of wide receiver that we always had the aspirations and wanted him to be. So I would not get my hopes up about that at this point. I think Demetrius Robertson, you know, is going to be uh, a good option at wide receiver, but he's not going to be the kind of guy who's just going to come out and dominate a game at this point. I don't see any way that that is going to happen. On the defensive side, man, you just had just tremendous, tremendous um, contributions from the defensive side. The defense absolutely dominated the game. And and then in turn, you can tell by these stats, Monty Rice, Led in uh, seven total tackles. He had six solos, and then he assisted on two others. Um, Aziz Olaraji, five tackles, three solos. Quay Walker, four tackles, one solo. Uh, and then, you know, Olaraji, he had three tackles for a loss, too. Uh, and, and his, you know, his tackle, one of his tackles he had was a sack on the quarterback. And we had another couple other guys. Adam Anderson, he had two tackles. Both of his were sacks, and both of them were for a loss. So that is awesome. And then um, just just lots and lots of contributions on the board. Lewis Lewis Sin, he had um, four tackles and one solo. He assisted on three of them. Tyson Campbell. Uh, Three solo tackles in the game. So just lots and lots of contributions. Richard LeCount, he had two tackles. One solo also uh, got a penalty for head-to-head. Uh, they they called targeting on him, so he was kicked out of the game. I don't think he's going to have to serve any time out next week. He should be back at the very beginning of the Tennessee game. So that was the nightcap game. But earlier in the day, we're going to go back and we're going to recap a couple of other games that, that happened yesterday. So to start the day off, college game day was in town for the Georgia-Auburn game. But then you had South Carolina and Florida with a noon kickoff from Gainesville, Florida. And Florida, once again, looked absolutely fantastic. But they still gave up a good many yards. Florida yesterday did not have the kind of offensive day that they had last week when they played Ole Miss, but they still had a, a good day, and they had a good enough day to win the game. Um, but every time that I saw them making a play on television, they had these deep passes down the field. South Carolina was missing tackles, and Florida was just wishing right, you know, going right by them and everything. So uh, here's what we have for the Florida-South Carolina matchup yesterday. I really thought that South Carolina would keep this game a little bit closer Florida came away with a 38 to 24 lead. Uh, they outgained them 348 to 329 passing. 
Second lineup was okay. They had 212 yards passing. Florida had 268 yards passing. The difference was really the run. I mean, Florida does not look like they have much of a running game so far. South Carolina outgained them 117 yards to 80 on the ground, and Florida was held to 3.3 yards per rush. That's not very good, but South Carolina wasn't much better. Three point, uh, Actually, they were tied, 3.3 yards per rush. Um, penalties, Florida had four for 44 yards. South Carolina had six for 55 yards, and then Florida had two turnovers. And and that's something you didn't hear anybody talk about on TV. Everybody was just praising Kyle Trask last night. Let's just bow down to him and, hey, you hit the Heisman Trophy. That's what I'm seeing from ESPN and other networks. I saw it from CBS, too. But, hey, the guy had two turnovers yesterday. Um, now, he he did do a, a decent job getting the team down the field, but they absolutely got dominated on time of possession. Uh, and I don't think if you look – into the future, okay, so Georgia-Florida games about five weeks away. If you look into the future, I think that bodes very well for the Georgia Bulldogs because when they face Florida, Florida looks like a team that cannot run the ball very well. And when you are facing the Georgia Bulldogs, you better be able to run the football. And if you can't run the football, then you're going to have problems. On the other hand, uh, third and Grantham seem to be alive there for South Carolina. Uh, Kyle Trask, even though he had the interceptions yesterday, he did have four touchdown passes. Well, actually, there was another pass that was responsible for the interception. So he only threw one interception, but Florida threw two as a whole. Uh, I'm not really sure how exactly that happened. I did not see that part of the game. But uh, definitely some very, very uh, promising stats if you're a Georgia Bulldogs fan. I want to take a look at Florida's rushing because – that's what we're really going to kind of look like. Look at here. Damian Pierce, nine carries, 51 yards. He had a 5.7 average. So he, you know, as far as the uh, average rushing yards per play, he did pretty good. Kyle Trask followed that up. He was the second leading rusher on the team. He's trying to be Tim Tebow. Six carries, 22 yards. Malik Davis, four carries, nine yards. Naquan Wright, one carry for three yards. And then Kadarius Toney. Two carries for negative four yards, so he lost. And then Kadarius Toney also led the team in receiving. They did some sort of wide receiver reverse with him. That's how he lost his rushing yards. Kyle Pitts, incredible day. He had two. He had a two-touchdown reception. I saw something on ESPN, too, that uh, this might be the best quarterback wide receiver tandem since uh, you had uh, Jabbar Gaffney and Rex Grossman, the quarterback and receiver relationship. Rex Grossman was the receive. Rex Grossman was the quarterback. Played in the NFL for a few years for the Chicago Bears. Did okay. Had a decent one. I think he started the Super Bowl for him. And then uh, you had Jabbar Gaffney too. I don't remember. Did a whole lot in the NFL, but he was a great college receiver. Um, you know, Trevon Grimes, two receptions, twenty six yards. I got a good receiving core. They distribute the ball very, very well. Uh, Florida defensively, not quite as good. I'm going to see, did not produce a lot of sacks. Uh, they had Zachary Carter had one and a half sacks yesterday. Sean Davis, eight solo, eight, seven solo tackles for him. He was their leading tackler. Kair Elam, he had six solo tackles, eight tackles total. Uh, he assisted on two. And they had a couple of guys that got credited for a half a sack. They had, um, Chris Bogle, he got credited for two tackles and then a half sack. 
And then Andrew Chatfield Jr., he got credited for uh, one tackle and a half a sack as well. Uh, on the South Carolina end, their leading tackler was Jamie Robinson. He had six tackles, three solos. Uh, South Carolina basically had a, a one sack in the game. So not really a lot to speak of there for the South Carolina Gamecocks. You know, they really were hoping, and they needed to get off to a good start. Well, they've lost to two of the better teams in the SEC so far. So it's not their losses are bad. They've lost to Tennessee. They've lost to Florida. But they've lost two games where I feel like they needed to win one of them. And, and they had Tennessee on the ropes there for a little bit. They just committed a very costly error at the end of that game. Florida, they never had on the ropes. Florida pretty much came out and dominated them. It was 24 to 14 and a half. And then Florida added two more touchdowns in the third quarter and never looked back. So I, I think we, we definitely have an issue uh, there. But Florida actually turned the ball over more than South Carolina. And, and the one thing that South Carolina had is they dominated the time of possession. 36 minutes and 23 seconds to 23 minutes and 37 seconds. But otherwise, they really didn't have a whole lot to show for it there. All right, moving on to the Tennessee and Missouri game. That was the other game that was going on with a noon kickoff yesterday. Tennessee is Georgia's next opponent. So I want to go ahead and take a look at this game. All right, so Tennessee, uh, Jarrett Garitano, he had 190 yards passing and a touchdown. He was 14 for 23 passing. They have a very good running back. They have Gray. He had 16 carries for 105 yards and a touchdown. And then Palmer uh, was a top receiver yesterday for Tennessee. Four receptions, 71 yards. Missouri, uh, Basilek, their quarterback, he was 13 for 21, 218 yards and an interception. And then they had Roundtree as their top runner, 18 carries, 84 yards. And then Hazleton was uh, the top receiver for the Missouri Tigers with four receptions for 66 yards. Tennessee outgame Missouri 422 to 344. Missouri had one turnover in the game. The time of possession favored Tennessee at 31 minutes and 50 seconds to Missouri's 28 minutes and 10 seconds. And then Tennessee had 26 first downs. Missouri had 15. So that looks a lot like uh, Georgia when you start adding those totals together and looking at that. Uh, Tennessee looks a lot like Georgia. These teams are very similar, similar coaching staffs. Jeremy Pruitt was Georgia's defensive coordinator under Mark Rick for two seasons in 2014 and 2015. Um, and they both come from the Nick Saban coaching tree. Uh, and that's the story that's going to be talked about a little bit this week as we get ready for the Tennessee game. But Jeremy Pruitt was Georgia's defensive coordinator. When Jeremy Pruitt left, he replaced the guy who became Georgia's head coach, Kirby Smart, becoming Georgia's head coach after that 2015 season. Jeremy Pruitt goes over to Alabama and becomes their defensive coordinator for a couple of seasons up until Tennessee hired them after that just ridiculous debacle of a coaching search. Uh, John Curry gets fired. Phil Fulmer gets hired, their former football coach, gets hired as the new athletic director, and he picks Jeremy Pruitt to be his guy. I think Jeremy Pruitt was a good hire. Now, as you may remember, Tennessee started off with that very controversial game last year, that season opener against Georgia State, in which they struggled mightily and to be able – well, they didn't even win the game. They struggled mightily in that game, and everybody was thinking, oh, Phil Fulmer, what have you done? Is Jeremy Pruitt really the right guy for the job? And – 
as it turns out, I, I think as of right now, he is. But Jeremy Pruitt needs to take the next step forward. And for him, that would be either beating – I don't think he's got to beat everybody on the schedule. But he, there's really three key games that you have to look at for Tennessee. You have the Georgia game next week for them. You've got the Florida game that they're playing, I believe, in the season finale of their schedule. And then you have the Alabama game. Alabama, they have lost how many in a row, too? I mean, I think it's over – 10 now. I think it's like 11 or 12 games against Alabama that they've lost. They've lost um, something like 14 out of 15 against the University of Florida. They won one a couple years ago. I think maybe that 2016 season they managed to win a game, but there hasn't been a lot of luck against the Florida Gators since 2005. So um, I think Tennessee's last streak in the series was 2004, and then Florida ended up winning 10 in a row, then Tennessee won one, and now Florida's come back and they've won three more in a row, including one year where they just weren't very good when they were in the uh, last year of the Jim McElwain regime. So Tennessee really looking to to come in and um, try to take the next step, and, and they do need to take a next step this season. So I don't think they have to win, like I said, they don't have to win all three games. It'd be really nice if they can win two out of the three games. They need to win at least one, at least one to keep the confidence of that fan base. And, you know, and, and Georgia's on a very similar streak against the Auburn Tigers. They have won, I believe, 13 out of 16 since that 2005 season. DJ Shockley's last year as the Georgia Bulldogs quarterback, the Georgia Bulldogs have just dominated the Auburn Tigers. Now, of course, Auburn, this is what I wanted to say in the recap of the game, of course, Auburn has uh, gone to the national championship game in two of those years that they beat Georgia. 2010, when they had Cam Newton as their starting quarterback. And then 2013, they went to the national championship game, played a good Florida State team, and lost that game. We're going to talk a little bit about Florida State, too, because we're going to get to the Jimbo Fisher conversation once we get to the Alabama-Texas A&M game. But just a, re- just a, a brief recap on the Tennessee-Missouri game. Uh, you know. I, I definitely think that Tennessee is moving in the right direction. They're finally winning the games that they should win, and they're no longer losing to the teams that they shouldn't lose to. You know, that very common loss to them for the last couple of years was against Vanderbilt. They uh, lost to Georgia State last year. That's something that should never happen, but it, it did happen. I bet you they'll never play Georgia State again. But uh, Garitano, 190 yards. Eric Gray with his 105 yards rushing. And they, they distribute the ball very evenly. They look really good right now. And I, I think that Georgia is going to have their hands full with them on Saturday. I think they are better than Auburn. That's going to be a tough spot. They play a lot like Georgia. They own the time of possession against Missouri, 31 minutes and 50 seconds to 28 minutes and 10 seconds. So look, look out for this game. I think it's going to be very good. They love to run the ball. They had 51 rushing attempts. Does that sound familiar? I mean, Georgia passed the ball okay last night, but they still basically dominated the game in in running last night. Well, Tennessee had 232 yards to Missouri's 126 yards. That makes a difference in the time of possession. And they didn't get penalized a lot at all. They had three penalties for 20 yards. If you can't you can't have much more of a red letter day than that. So, you know, if you play like that, then you gotta good chance to to win your football games and i think 
like I said, Georgia, if Tennessee plays like that and they try to dominate the time possession, you can expect a pretty low-scoring game this weekend. I thought Auburn and Georgia would be a low-scoring game. Well, it wasn't. It was low-scoring for Auburn, but 27-6. to six. The only thing I was disappointed in the Georgia game is that Georgia couldn't score any points late, but I didn't feel like they went conservative either. I felt like they were still getting yards, still milking the clock. They just weren't scoring in that situation. But they didn't need to. Their defense was so awesome last night that nothing had to be done on on the offensive end as far as being able to uh, get any more yards. But yeah, Georgia, 202 yards rushing last night where they passed for 240 yards. Georgia still likes to run the ball, folks. That hasn't changed. But their offense is a lot more innovative because they're getting the ball into the hands of the playmakers now. All right. So moving on to the Texas A&M-Alabama game. Oh, boy. It's time for all the Jimbo hate talk now because this is year three of the Jimbo Fisher regime. And I don't think things are getting a lot better for Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M than they were when he first got there. They pretty much look like the same team. They still look like they're being coached by Kevin Sumlin. I'm not saying any improvement at all. Now, you know, Kevin Mon, he had a much better game yesterday than he had last week when they played Vanderbilt. That 17 to 12 squeaker they had. But and he's Really, the biggest issue they had yesterday was their defense was just awful. They uh, had busted assignments. Alabama just got a lot of deep passes off against them. And uh, this is one thing I would say about Mac Jones. It's going to be interesting to see Alabama play Georgia in a couple weeks because just watching Mac Jones yesterday, I feel like he overthrows the football just a little bit. Really good player, but he does overthrow that football just a little bit. And the timing just wasn't quite right in some of his plays. On the other hand, he hit on quite a few of his uh, touchdown passes, too. He, I mean, the guy was great as far as his overall stats. He was 20 for 27, 435 yards, four touchdowns and interception. Kelvin Mond, 318 yards, three touchdowns and one interception for the Texas A&M side. Uh, but Alabama is not getting near as much physicality. They're not running the ball very well. They had uh, yesterday, Robinson was the leading rusher, 10 carries, 60 yards, King for Texas A&M, five carries, 43 yards. I mean, really, neither one of those teams ran the ball that good. Alabama with a grand total of 109 rushing yards. Texas A&M with a grand total of 115 rushing yards. And then um, Mechie for Alabama, he was the leading receiver. Five receptions, 181 yards, two touchdowns. And Smith for Texas A&M, six receptions, 123 yards, two touchdowns. But just look at how bad the defenses for both teams were. Okay, A&M got their yards. They had 100, They had 450 total yards. Alabama just put up ridiculous numbers on A&M with all those busted assignments. 544 yards. Trust me, the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be able to stop that offense. Once you put a little bit of pressure on Mac Jones, it's going to be interesting to see if he's rattled and he gets discombobulated in this game. But I think Georgia and Alabama in a couple of weeks, we'll see what happens in the Tennessee game, but I think that's going to be a heck of a matchup once we get to it. So... Where are we going, Jimbo? I mean, you, you, you've done so much for college football, right? You've won a national championship with Florida State in a conference that was pretty weak. I mean, who was the second-best team in the ACC in 2013, the year that you won the national championship? It was Duke, right? You played Duke in the ACC championship game. Uh, back then, Clemson wasn't what they are now. I think you, you wiped the floor with them like 42-7 in that game. Clemson didn't even manage to contend with you at all. And, and here you are now. You're 
supposed to be taking a step up. Paul Feinbaum said that you're taking a step up in college football. You should be able to contend for a national championship. That that um, Jimbo Fisher was going to win a national championship this year at Texas A&M. Well, right now, I don't think so. I don't think the guy has got a prayer of winning a national championship at Texas A&M as long as he, as long as Texas A&M is playing like this in these games. They had two turnovers yesterday, but I can't put my finger on anything in this game that would have made them lose. In fact, they dominated time of possession. They possessed the ball for 37 minutes and 42 seconds to Alabama's 22 minutes and 18 seconds. Alabama still isn't a very physical team, but what's going to happen when Alabama starts playing better teams? Well, they're not playing one this week. They're playing the Ole Miss Rebels. Well, Ole Miss. Uh, what can we say? Lane Kiffin got his first win yesterday. He had a 42-41 to 41 victory over the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, great game. If you like offense, you got plenty of it. One thing about Ole Miss is they're a great offensive team. And Matt Corral seems to have really settled in at quarterback. John Rice Plumley, who was the quarterback last year, he kind of seems to be the odd man out. Um, and John Rice Plumley was an offseason story for the Ole Miss Rebels. So I don't know what's going on at quarterback there, but Corral seems to be the guy. 24 for 29 yesterday. He only missed on five passes, 320 yards, four touchdowns. He is also the team's leading rusher. So they have very similar skill sets. They both can run the ball, too. 13 carries for 51 yards. Mingo was the leading receiver. Eight receptions, 128 yards, two touchdowns on the other side. Terry Wilson, uh, he is just an average quarterback, y'all. 14 for 18, 151 yards. He did that against Ole Miss's defense. Rushing yards, Rodriguez was the leading carrier, 17 carries, 133 yards, two touchdowns. And then Ali was the leading receiver, seven receptions, 88 yards. So, I mean, Kentucky put up good numbers. They had 559 yards against that Ole Miss defense. It's, the thing is, is that most of them weren't passing. Most of them were rushing. They put up 408 rushing yards against Ole Miss's defense. So those rushing stats we looked at were just, you know, we're just icing on the cake, but and that was just your leading guy. But but they put on a ton of rushing yards. Let's take a look at their rushing yards more in depth. They possessed the ball for 36 minutes and five seconds to uh, 23 minutes and 55 seconds. But what it came down to is that Kentucky missed that extra point in overtime, and then Ole Miss was able to beat them on the extra point, or else that game probably could have um, – could, could have gone to another period. So I, I don't know. I didn't really know what to think about that. Um, that that kicking game is a mess. I mean, it's cost Kentucky a game. They're 0-2 now. And, you know, they, they've lost two pretty winnable games. I thought their game against Auburn, they played okay, and then they lost the game. But it was a winnable football game for them. But, yeah, they they uh, ended up not, not being able to win the game. So I don't really know hardly what to think about some of this at this point all right two more games to go over and then we're going to look into the inside of the sec stats so let's go over the lsu versus vanderbilt game vanderbilt my uh, favorite predicted o and 10 team they looked every bit like an o and 10 team um yesterday last night so uh, kj costello dominated lsu's defense the week before Last night, Vanderbilt was just a sitting duck against the LSU Tigers. Lost 41-7. to And that's just not, if you're a Vandy fan, what you want. 
And their stats look extremely weak. They're 11. Okay, so Seals is, is Vandy's quarterback. He was 11 for 25 for 113 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Too many mistakes made there. Their leading rusher was Marlowe, 17 carries, 83 yards. Top receiver was Johnson, three receptions, 63 yards. And then uh, Miles Brennan on the other end for LSU. Much improved, 23 for 37. 337 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. He didn't throw near the picks as last week. Rushing yards, Emory, 12 carries, 103 yards, one touchdown. Top receiver was Marshall, two receptions, 67 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, very balanced time of possession here. LSU had the ball a little over 30 minutes. Vanderbilt had it for about 29 minutes. Uh, but overall, it was just domination. LSU had 498 total yards. Vanderbilt only had 266 total yards, and uh, LSU had 28 first downs. Vandy only had 17, and then was the turnover issue as well. I just don't think LSU's defense looks a lot better today than it did last week. So that's all we need to say about that. All right, so the upset of the century in college football was last night. You had... Arkansas snapping their 20-game SEC skid, last won a game against Ole Miss in 2017, and they ended up beating America's sweetheart team, the Mississippi State Bulldogs and Mike Leach. So this game does a couple things for Georgia as well. Number one, it makes Georgia look so much better. Everybody wanted to talk smack about Georgia last week, and you know, and I didn't feel good about the game myself, but it was a seven and five, seven to five halftime score. And then Arkansas comes out and basically just dominates the game defensively against Mississippi State, forces KJ Costello to make lots of mistakes in the game. And, um, I mean, it's just a mess. Just wondering what happened with Mississippi State. Now, they still got the yards. They had 313 total yards. And they ran the ball much better than they did against LSU last week. I think last week they only had 10 yards rushing. And they had 87 yards against Mississippi State. And Arkansas didn't really run. Uh, Mississippi State, sorry, I've got my teams crossed. And then Mississippi State had 87 yards against Mississippi State. But, oh, uh, and then Mississippi State had 87 yards against Arkansas. But Arkansas only had 63 yards rushing against Mississippi State. Um, but the key stat of the game, if you look at the turnovers department, well, Arkansas did have two turnovers. Mississippi State had four. And this KJ Costello, all he was doing last week was throwing touchdown passes. He only threw one touchdown pass this week in three picks. Meanwhile, Felipe Franks, uh, you know, he didn't have any interceptions. He played a pretty crisp game, 212 yards, two touchdowns. Smith led him in rushing, 14 carries, 48 yards, and Warren was the top receiver for Arkansas, uh, four receptions, 100 yards. And Mitchell, five receptions, 61 yards. And then Johnston, or Johnson for Mississippi State had nine carries, 39 yards, and one touchdown. So overall, a very good game for Arkansas. They snapped that SEC winning streak. And I told you, now I didn't think they were going to get anybody quite this quickly, but I told you that Arkansas team was going to get somebody and upset somebody at some point this year. And they did. They upset the Mississippi State Bulldogs, who were America's sweetheart team last week. And now they are staring a loss in the barrel. Upset over LSU, but upset by Arkansas. So they beat the defending national champions, 
but then lost to a team that went over the SEC last year. Now, I'm having fun looking at some of these stats that are out there. On total offense, Florida, oh, well, yeah, Mississippi State is the top offense in the SEC. They're ranked seventh in the nation. Florida's the number two offense in the SEC at 13th in the country. And they got Alabama at 15 in the country. Uh, you won't find the Georgia Bulldogs very high on this list at all. They're 36, which is, you know, fairly average, but they had a really bad game and then uh, followed by a very good game. But if you go and you look at total defense, on the other hand, you're going to like what you see with the Georgia Bulldogs because they are very much part of the equation and total defense around the country. They are a top five defense. They are currently ranked number four in the country defensively, giving up an average of 248 yards per game, followed by in the SEC. Let's see what we've got. Man, Oklahoma's even on this list. That's surprising. They're 14th in the country at 317.3 yards per game. Is that a misprint? Because they've just given up an oodle ton of yards in the last couple of games that they've participated in, and they lost both of them, and that's another story for today. Uh, as the AP poll comes out. Okay, so Tennessee is actually right now second in the SEC defensively at number 21. And then I'm going to see where Alabama is. South Carolina's 27th defense. Alabama is number 30 defensively, getting up 386 yards per game. So let's see what that entails. Is gonna, so basically this weekend you got the SEC's number one defense going up against the SEC's number two defense. That's, a, uh, that's something to look out for. All right, today's AP top 25 polls out. So Georgia and Florida flip-flopped. you got Clemson at number one, Alabama at number two. Georgia is now ranked third. They flip-flopped with Florida. Florida was ranked third last week, went down to fourth. The voters obviously were very impressed with Georgia's victory over Auburn. So now they are number three. And then you got uh, Notre Dame ranked fifth. Where's the next highest-ranked SEC team? Auburn is at 13th. So they went from seventh to 13th. Tennessee staying there pretty steady. They went from 21 to 14. Moving up, LSU is 17 up from 20 last week. Texas A&M, should they even be ranked anymore? They went from 13th to 21. I thought they probably should have gone from 13 to unranked the way they looked yesterday. And then Minnesota is at number 25, even though they haven't played a single game yet. So um, you have a total. Mississippi State also fell out of the polls. So you have a grand total of what? You got one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven. So half the league is ranked right now. And Mississippi State is still in the others receiving votes. Anybody else in the SEC getting votes? Oklahoma fell out of the top 25 after back-to-back losses. So they lost to Kansas State last week. This week they lost to Iowa State. I had that game on my radar as a potential. Although I thought Oklahoma would bounce back. I picked them to win. But they did not. Arkansas actually is also receiving votes. So that's our show for this week. We're going to come back later on this week and we're going to have our Georgia versus Tennessee preview. And we're going to have our look around the SEC and preview this upcoming weekend's games. But so far, I think we have a lot to be excited about with the Georgia Bulldogs that came through yesterday. Looked strong and dominant. Kirby Smart was happy with the win. And we look great defensively like we did last year. And the offense made a big stride forward. And hopefully that's going to continue for the rest of the year. In the meantime, I'm Todd Brooks. And this is, uh, and I'm signing off. And please, if you like our show, uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. If you like our show, you can also give us a like on Facebook. 
And I will be looking forward to seeing those. If you have a question, please send us a question over Facebook, and we'll be happy to answer it for you on a future show. Until then, take care.